1: Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com.
2: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And you are here. We're here. It's part three of our exploration of black holes. Now, I think this all came about, Robert, because you went to the World Science Festival and saw a great presentation on black holes. Isn't that right?
1: Yes, it was called Darkness Visible Shedding New Light on Black Holes. It's a tremendous presentation. Uh, it's available on YouTube uh, for your viewing,
0: and I'll make sure that there is a link to it on the landing page for this episode at StuffToBullYourMind.com. Now, it's funny. that This is going to be our third episode in a row on black holes, and this will be the last one for now. We, we will probably revisit the subject again in the future, because even in three whole episodes, there's no way to even come close to exploring all of the interesting stuff about black holes. But we're here for part three. In the first part, we explored the sort of the idea history of black holes like where they came from conceptually before anybody had ever looked up and seen one. Mm -hmm. And then in the second episode, we tried to talk about ways of inferring the physical existence of black holes, not just the theoretical framework underlying them, but how we can detect them out there in the universe. And then in today's episode, we wanted to sort of like uh, just do a grab bag of interesting outstanding questions about black holes or thought experiments involving what we know about black holes today.
1: Yeah, and we'll get into some sort of sci-fi ideas here as well, for sure, which of course uh <laughs> brings us back to the the, the topic of uh, cinematic portrayals of uh, black holes. We talked a little bit about uh, the the Disney movie The Black Hole yeah. in uh, previous episodes. We talked about uh Interstellar uh and how uh, Interstellar is a, is actually a, a pretty good um, scientific model to look at as far as uh, depictions of black holes in cinema, but then of course there is 1997's Event Horizon. Oh, is there? <laughs> this was the the Paul W. S. Anderson film, uh, arguably in my mind the the best um, <laughs> Paul what? W. S. Anderson film. <laughs>
0: What would be the other candidate for the best Paul W.S. Anderson film? One of the Resident Evil sequels? I guess sequels? one of
1: the seven or eight Resident Evils or Mortal <laughs> Kombat. You know, you could go with that. The, that was
0: his film prior to Event Horizon. Uh, no, I I don't want to be mean. But to, to be generous, we could say not this generation's most highbrow filmmaker.
1: Not to say that, that, that you and I
0: are, are – Purely highbrow uh, cinema enthusiasts. No, we love some trash, and boy, is Event Horizon some delectable <laughs> '90s trash. Uh, it, it's it's got funny uh, CGI. It's got get to the chopper kind of stuff. Yeah, it's got a great cast. Actually, it's got hilariously bad writing. It's uh, yeah, it's solid B movie uh, territory.
1: It it certainly is in that it has. Uh, well, I mean, for starters, it's it's certainly not a B movie when it comes to the amount of money that's, that's spent true. on this thing, but in terms of of uh, of, of looking when you look at it as a whole there are a lot of problems mm-hmm. when you but when you look at some of the of the elements that go into making the film there there are a lot of things i like about it yeah. uh, i think the ship
0: looks really cool this idea i like idea. the leather punk spaceship yeah but
1: yeah i mean it looks like a cathedral uh-huh. the uh, I, I like how it incorporates some of these um the, these these very obvious elements from films like The Shining uh, uh, you know 2001 A Space Odyssey Solaris
0: and brings them all to, together I bet you like the soundtrack don't you?
1: Well I thought I was gonna like the soundtrack because <laughs> I it'd been a long time since I've seen this like possibly since uh, high school mm-hmm. and I, I rewatched. um uh, we watched it before we went into to to to, uh, to record this episode. The main thing I was remembering here was that oh yeah, Orbital worked on the soundtrack. Uh, Orbital, of course, are, are, are legends of uh, the electronic uh, genre. They, for instance, their their nineteen ninety three album Orbital Two is a classic, and I recommend everyone who's into uh, electronic and ambient you should check it out.
0: They were also on the soundtrack of the Paul W S Anderson film Mortal Kombat.
1: Yes, that had, that soundtrack was pretty awesome back in the day, but. <laughs> You know me. I love a good electronic score. So I went back uh, to to view of horizon Mm -hmm. expecting there to be a lot more orbital, a lot more uh, uh, electronic uh, uh, nuance. But the thing is it's not just an orbital score. It's orbital and Michael uh, Common. And Michael Common brings the uh, the orchestral stuff uh, into this equation. And it really felt like there was far – it was a far more traditional – a uh, film score than I really wanted to hear.
0: It's one of those beat you over the head horror scores. Yeah, you know.
1: Uh, I hope you want some wahs. Yeah, yeah. So it did not really, uh, f- it did did not really uh, please me on that level. Um, but I, you know, I like this. I like the ship. I like some of the horror elements. And the cast is so good that you can forgive a lot of of things. Like when Sam Neill is uh, is your lead actor, uh, it forgives a lot of sins. And he arguably, I would argue. Plays the best possible pinhead in
0: this. Like <laughs> it's he, true.
1: He, he essentially becomes a cinnabite in this film. Yeah. And in doing so, he's like, he's a cut above any other cinematic cinnabite.
0: Yeah, you could argue that Event Horizon is a very bad movie, but that it might be in a way the best Hellraiser sequel. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, of course, at the heart, of, why are we talking
1: about Event Horizon? As we touched, we've discussed already in these uh, Black Hole episodes, the Event Horizon is the point at which uh, light cannot escape. The, uh, the, the
0: gravity of the singularity. It's the point of no return, right? Uh, so you've got this incredibly dense core at the middle of a black hole. Say if your black hole is the remnant of a collapsed star. You, you know, your star goes supernova, blasts a lot of its material out into space, and then it's got this remnant left over that's very dense. It's within what's known as its Schwarzschild radius, mm-hmm. and if it's within that radius, it will collapse upon itself in this weird process that even now we're still trying to understand most fully. It will collapse it this way that it looks like it collapses toward infinite density, and it creates this sphere around it where anything that goes inside the sphere never comes out again. It cannot overcome the force of gravity; it just becomes part of the black hole. Right.
1: And in the film Event Horizon, the essential sciency argument that is made uh, when. When Sam Neill's character, it, like, is forced to explain this to uh, the crew of a spaceship who apparently have no idea how space works, mm-hmm. uh, apparently the Event Horizon spaceship creates an artificial singularity, which is then used to open a wormhole of some sort, and that's that's as about as as, uh, as detailed as the explanation gets.
0: Oh, also, they go to hell. Well, well yes, it's... but
1: that's that's how they get there is through the wormhole. <laughs>
0: Or the wormhole goes through hell. I'm a little vague. Here, so why have we spent so much time talking about Event Horizon? Here's why. Because I'm going to argue that I think a scientifically accurate movie about going to a black hole could be scarier than a movie where you need to put hell and demons in there. All right. Well, that that can be the argument we make during the course of
1: this uh, episode for sure.
0: Okay. Well, I think we should talk about what it'd be like if you want to fall into a black hole. Let's say you get a hankering. You're saying, I want to approach infinite density. Hey, it's 2018. Yeah. I, I, you know, I totally understand that I, desire. I, I feel flabby. I feel kind of bloated. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going for infinite density now. So you say, I'm going to fall into a black hole. You've decided to hop into a spaceship, travel out into the universe, and intentionally fly straight into a very big black hole. Now, there are a lot of people who have written about this subject trying to imagine what it would be like, the subjective experience of approaching a black hole, crossing the event horizon, and then falling in. Uh, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson actually has a book about it. Uh, I haven't read that book, but I've read a bunch of stuff about this. Probably the best uh, explanation I've read, and one of my main sources here is going to be an explanation from the astrophysicist Ethan Siegel, who is an astrophysicist and a science blogger. He runs the Starts with a Bang blog. Do you ever read that? Robert? I don't believe I have, no. He writes good stuff about astrophysics. Um, so so he's got an exploration here that I think is pretty good. So he says, OK, imagine you're approaching a black hole. And if the black hole were the mass of Earth, the sphere that you'd, you'd be approaching would only be about one centimeter in radius or about two centimeters wide. If the black hole were about the mass of the sun, the sphere would only be about three kilometers in radius or about six kilometers wide. So the actual spheres of the event horizon that you would see are are much smaller than a lot of the other things you'd encounter out in the universe. That is, unless you're coming up against one of the biggest ones, like, say, a supermassive black hole, the kinds that are at the center of galaxies. So as you approach the black hole from a kind of normal orbital distance, one of the funny things is that, first of all, you might not immediately notice anything strange about the gravity. The gravitational influence you'd feel would be a lot like approaching or orbiting a star of the same mass. And to reiterate, if a star the size of our sun were suddenly magically turned into a black hole – and by the way, this would not ever happen in point of fact because our sun is not massive enough to naturally become a black hole. Uh, But if you were to, by magic, turn it into a black hole of the same mass, Earth would simply continue orbiting. It wouldn't be immediately sucked in or anything. Things would get very weird on Earth, but but yeah, we would not be sucked into the black hole. Right. Uh, but once you got closer, then things really do start to get weirder, especially when you get very close. So as you approach the black hole, first of all, you would notice that as you get closer, the black hole gets bigger – faster than any normal object would as you approached it. So you you might have a normal sense of, okay, I'm flying towards a planet or I'm flying towards a star at a certain speed. You can have a pretty predictable rate of its expansion to take up more and more degrees of your field of view, right? As you near a black hole, the black hole actually gets bigger faster than any normal object would because rays of light beaming towards you, passing all around the black hole, are bent dramatically inward. Okay. Now, remember what we'd actually be seeing out there is you'd see sort of a black disk with light warped around it. Uh, Remember the Schwarzschild radius, the distance from the center of the black hole to the event horizon. Uh, The the event horizon, of course, is the, the sphere catastrophique, the point beyond which nothing, not even light, can escape. And as you approach that sphere more closely, the apparent Schwarzschild radius from your point of view will grow dramatically. Uh, Siegel writes that by the time you're about 10 Schwarzschild radii away from the black hole, so about 10 of the radius of the black hole away from it, it will appear so big that it will blot out your entire forward-facing view, right? So if you're looking toward it, it will be your entire – Field of view. A normal object of the same size at that distance would only appear to be about the size of your fist at an arm's length. Then you go deeper. And you can reach, there are several sort of stops along the way. One of the stops you would reach along the way is what's known as the Innermost Stable Circular Orbit, or the ISCO. This is sort of the last filling station before you head down to the border. The ISCO is about 1.5 times the radius of the event horizon. And it's what it sounds like based on the name. It's the closest that particles can orbit the black hole in a stable circle. Go any closer and it's all downhill, pretty much literally. Uh, By the time you reach the ISCO, if you face a black hole, you will see nothing but black in the direction of the black hole. And the event horizon will appear to take up your, your whole field of view. But here's the crazy part. You keep going down past the ISCO, and of course, total blackness will still take up your entire field of view if you look toward the black hole, but uh, here's what happens if you turn around and look away, and I'll explore this in a couple of different ways. First is scenario one. This is where you imagine it's only you falling in. Uh, It's not light or other stuff falling in with you, and this is not how it would probably really be, just to illustrate the gravitational influences involved. If you keep going toward the black hole, and you turn back and look away from it as you're falling in, you will see total darkness begin to creep in from every direction as well in the direction you came from. So you're looking backward, and you will see what looks like a membrane of total darkness closing in all around. Oh, wow. And your view of the stars and the universe will shrink down to a circle in the direction opposite of the black hole. Just try to imagine that. Your whole view... Of the universe being bent and crushed down into a shrinking circle that's receding behind you rapidly. Well, again, it is 2018, so I, I, I can't imagine that <laughs> to a certain extent. Uh, yeah, all starlight dies in a shrinking circle yes. that, that's uh, that's in your past. We've all, we've all had days like that. Uh, but at this point, it's important to remember you have not crossed the event horizon yet. You're just approaching it. So at this point, if you were to change your mind and say, "Hey, I want to get out of here." Uh, There is in principle still hope. If you have a powerful enough spaceship, you could turn around, you could pilot back towards that shrinking circle of starlight and escape the black hole, at least in theory. But it is at this point going to be a really powerful uphill climb against the gravity of the black hole. But let's say, you know, I don't want to escape. I just want to keep falling. So that's what you do. Assuming you keep looking toward that shrinking circle of starlight behind you where you came from, it will eventually shrink down to a point-like light source as you near the boundary, as you near the event horizon. And right before you cross the event horizon, the light from that point will cycle through an array of colors uh, due to what's known as gravitational blue shifting. So you'll see red, then white, then blue – and at this point, all the low-frequency radiation in the universe, stuff like the cosmic microwave background, which stuff which is like microwaves and radio waves, not stuff that's normally visible, will shift up. Because of the blue shift of the electromagnetic spectrum, it'll shift up into the visible spectrum, and you'll actually be able to see the cosmic microwave background as a visible blue with your eyes. Then finally, you hit the border – Okay, so you cross the event horizon. What do you see? In in this toy scenario where light is not falling in with you, you will see nothing at all. You have entered ultimate darkness, and at this point, there is no escape no matter what. So let's say you say, Oh no, I changed my mind after I crossed the event horizon. I want to pilot my spaceship back in the direction I came from. So that should be easy, right? You just turn around, and you come back in exactly the opposite direction you've been traveling. Too bad. Mm. (laughs) You can't do it. If you try, you will discover, to your great surprise, that the direction that used to be the direction you came from is now downhill into the center of the black hole. And in fact, every direction you try to go in is downhill into the center of the black hole. It is the perfect pit. It is a pit in which the only direction is down. You're going into that thing no matter what. And any travel you do would only speed your travel toward the center of the thing.
1: That's kind of mind bending to, to, to think about. But yeah, essentially all, all roads uh, lead to Rome at this point. The remaining question is, how long does it take you to get to Rome?
0: (laughs) Right. So you've crossed, you can't go back. How long do you fall before you sort of reach the center of this thing? Siegel writes that, uh, quote, as you cross the horizon at the supermassive 4 million solar mass black hole at the galactic center, believe it or not, despite the fact that we're talking about an event horizon that might be around a light hour in diameter in our reference frame, it would only take around 20 seconds to reach the singularity once you cross the event horizon. Now, remember that first scenario was kind of a toy scenario where light is falling, is not falling in with you. That's Mm -hmm. just to like see what the gravitational effects are. Uh, The physics of the effects are on display, but we created a kind of unrealistic scenario. So in reality, you would probably not be approaching and entering a black hole alone, but you'd be approaching and entering along with a huge tide of light and radiation. And this would mean that in reality, your picture of the universe would not shrink to a point behind you as you approach the black hole, but would remain a kind of warped vision of the sky following you down through the darkness after you cross the event horizon. And that light that you would see would be the light that's been sucked toward and into the event horizon with you uh but as as we've been talking about before unless you just assume some kind of technological or magical form of invincibility it's highly possible given various factors, there are a lot of different ways that a black hole could be. But it's highly possible that you would die at pretty much every stage of the scenario we'd be describing um, for several reasons, one of which is what's been classically known as spaghettification. Yes, I've certainly uh, heard Neil deGrasse Tyson speak about this. It's one of the astrophysicists' favorite concepts. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as you approach the center of gravity of smaller classes of black holes – tidal forces would work you up good. And tidal forces occur when an object is stretched and deformed because of an imbalance of gravitational forces at different parts of the object. We've talked before about Jupiter's moon Io. You know, Io is one of the most, it, it, I think it might be the most volcanically active object in the solar system. If it's not the most, it's one of the most. It's got these volcanoes erupting. What's causing all of this heat and, and geologic activity inside Io? It's believed to be tidal forces of Jupiter acting on the planet. You know, Jupiter, it's close enough to Jupiter that Jupiter is kind of working the planet with its gravity. And so as you're falling into a black hole, a similar kind of working would happen on you. Basically, imagine you're falling feet first into a relatively small black hole. At a certain radius from the black hole's center, you would start to notice that the force of gravity pulling your feet is a lot stronger than the force of gravity pulling your head. And since Einstein, we know that the experience of gravity is subjectively equivalent to the experience of acceleration through space, right? Gravity is just like being in an accelerating room. So imagine you're falling feet first and you discover that your feet are accelerating faster than your head is. If you were otherwise still alive when this started to happen to you, it would stretch your body out until it ripped into pieces. And then those pieces would get stretched and ripped into smaller and smaller pieces until you're just kind of a wet carbon particle jelly streaming through toward a point of infinite density.
1: Also worth noting, if you did a cannonball into the singularity, uh, then all of this would happen but first. (laughs) Not sure that has any impact on anybody's uh, decision-making.
0: Oh, it has a lot of impact. Somebody should work that up. That that should be a paper. Yeah, how would the body react? Uh in, in uh, as a side note, you might have heard me mention smaller black holes here. Why why did I mention smaller black holes? It's kind of counterintuitive, but actually smaller black holes will tend to kill you faster through tidal forces than larger black holes will. A much larger black hole actually has a more gentle gradient of gravity acceleration. Hmm. But so we've been imagining one type of way of picturing this awesome event, The what, what it's like to pass into a black hole. One of the things that I want to think about is once you're within the event horizon of a black hole, does it even make sense to talk about you falling into the black hole, to talk about you and the black hole as separate objects if you can literally never leave no matter what? You are no longer... An entity separate from the black hole itself you are part of the black hole and the black hole is you that's true
1: like you're no longer a denizen of the the larger universe you're a denizen of that particular black hole yeah uh, and yeah and arguably a
0: part of its substance yeah so maybe a maybe a more transcendent way of thinking about it would be to say okay when you fall into a black hole it doesn't just kill you you get to become it consolation prize yeah all right on that note we're going to take
1: a break and when we come back we will discuss more of the mysteries and wonders within the black hole
2: dad deserves something really nice for father's day but let's face it we usually don't do it big gifts are for mother's day world's number one dad better than a world's number one dad coffee mug is an artisan cocktail in his hand. Make dad's Father's Day and Father's Day cocktails with all natural juices and bitters without making any mess at all. Visit com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian. Premium cocktails on demand.
3: Are you spending a fortune while shopping on Amazon? What if I said you can earn cash back while you shop? Introducing Drop, the ultimate rewards app. Whether it's fashion, electronics, or groceries, you can earn free gift cards just by shopping online or in-store at tons of your favorite brands. Download the Drop app now and start earning while you shop. Plus, for a limited time, use code DROP11 to get $5 in points instantly.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Visible.
1: Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com.
4: Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe.
0: Now, one of the things I know they talked about in the darkness visible event you saw in New York was the relationship between black holes and entropy. What what was the deal here?
1: All right, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to explain all of this, and <laughs> uh, and I do just want to advise listeners uh, more than usual that if if this doesn't completely make sense, uh, do check out uh, the talk. Because you'll get to hear uh, a pair of experts discuss it mm-hmm. uh, in, in with more time and with uh, with greater expertise yeah uh, but but I will attempt to to summarize here
0: hey it is astrophysics of it course. is it <laughs> is astrophysics
1: and we are talking about black holes so one of the more interesting points brought up in the talk uh, was that string theory actually helps us make sense of what's known as the entropy problem with black holes The basic problem being uh, is that is that how can a black hole be in a high entropy state if everything inside it is uh, super condensed to a state of less entropy than normal matter? Where is the missing entropy? And uh, the thing is, according to string theory, uh, you can say, well, the the missing entropy can be found in the six microscopic spatial dimensions that exist in addition to the three spatial dimensions that we can observe. And yes, I realize all that kind of may have sounded to some of you like... uh, uh, like a monologue from ghostbusters <laughs> but uh but but it does it does make sense,
0: okay, so basics on string theory, string theory is an unproven a hypothetical framework in physics that, expl- that goes toward explaining the more ultimate nature of our universe. We've got the standard model mm-hmm. and you've got particles and you've got energy and all that. And you're like, does something lie underneath all this? What generates it? String theory, the, the very basic version is that it posits that underneath all of our model of particle physics and everything are these vibrating strings and these strings make up space time and particles and they can vibrate in different ways that create Different kinds of uh, phenomena and objects in our universe is that a is that kind of close approximation? Yes. yes. Uh, and so, under string theory, it's this sort of mathematical framework we haven't been able to fully test yet. But under this mathematical framework, it is believed that there are more dimensions than just the three space dimensions and the one time dimension that we observe.
1: Right. And they're necessary for string theory to work. Right. Um, like this, this basically emerges from the math. And one of the things that, uh, that, that Brian Green pointed out uh, in the World Science Festival talk is that for, for a long time, this was kind of not really a dirty secret of string theory. But it was one of those things that was necessary by the math. But it wasn't something that necessarily they were putting out there first, like right. saying – uh you know headline uh six dimension, uh, additional spatial dimensions yeah uh it was more like we have this this, this attempt to understand the universe and, oh, by the way, six-dimensional spatial dimensions.
0: And we should mention that Brian Greene is a big fan of string theory. Oh, He's yes. been working on string theory for years, but not everybody in the physics community is. Right. Uh, string theory has plenty of critics, people who say, you know, this isn't even science. It's not testable yet. So how could you, you know? Uh, but the the people who work on it say, well, we're trying to create a theoretical framework and maybe sometime in the future we could do tests to try to confirm it or disconfirm it.
1: Yes. Now, the other side of this, of course, is the entropy we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the second law of thermo- thermodynamics states that in a natural thermodynamic process, the sum of the entropies of the interacting thermodynamic dynamic systems increases. So things are going from low entropy to higher entropy. Um, the, the example that Brian Greene throws out is that if you have a book's worth of pages stacked on top of each other mm-hmm. in order... Uh, that is low entropy. And then you throw it into the air and all the pages fall on the ground. Well, now it's gone to a high entropy state. Uh, In the former, the low entropy state, less information was required to describe it, but in the, because you you just say, oh, well, the information on page six is on the sixth page, et cetera. You'll find them in order in this stack. Uh, But now everything uh, is in a high entropy state. You need more information to tell you where where everything is. You say, okay, page six is... Uh, well, it's it's over here um, uh, in the middle of the field uh, near pages, uh, you know, 800 and uh, page 72. Yeah, That sort of thing.
0: With a weasel chewing on it.
1: Right. So uh, w- when we looked back to black holes, <laughs> yeah, you have to c- count the weasel. But then the weasel's moving around. You've got to track the weasel. Yeah. See, it's so much easier to keep track of everything when it's just in a stack. Right. This is why good uh, um, housekeeping is essential. <laughs> so... Back to black holes, though. When black holes merge, uh, the area of the event horizon holds onto the entropy, uh, but there's this lost information. Uh, and, and this is probably this is probably a terrible way of thinking about it. So please, uh, you know, don't like really hold onto this or make a T-shirt out of it. But if two circus clowns were to merge into a single clown. <laughs> You might expect to have a circus clown with twice as many articles of clown clothing, twice as many buzzers, uh, twice as many flowers and other, like, clown gimmicks, right? Mm. Uh, Twice as much face paint. But, no, there's something missing. Where did the missing clown gimmicks go? Where did the missing entropy go? Where did the missing information go? Huh. Uh, Or it seems to be missing, Uh, seems to be, there seems to be a loss of information. Uh, Entropy is supposed to increase, but this would seem to be a decrease in entropy, which violates that second law of thermodynamics. And then scientists also found an area increase in merging black holes, seeming to line up with the increase in entropy. Uh, the area of the event horizon is somehow holding on to the information that's inside the black hole. And Stephen Hawking argued that there was a connection between uh, uh, the black hole area and entropy. There must be information, but the horizon is is featureless. There's no room for information there to be deciphered. Uh, so, if you solve all of this with Einstein's equations, the black hole would seem to have zero entropy. It would seem to be a perfectly ordered state, but that can't be right. Yeah. Now, basically, as Brian Greene described at the World Science Festival, you have these extra dimensions in string theory that emerge as kind of a remainder, a kind of a problem. And with black holes, uh, you have this problem of missing entropy. And when you combine the two, the problems would seem to kind of cancel each other out. Uh, and in a way possibly reveal what could be going on inside a black hole. It's still a puzzle. It's still a big mystery. You know, where does the entropy go when the black hole evaporates and uh, it, it radiates uh, particles and this uh, Hawking radiation? Uh, and when it vanishes, what happens to the information? Uh, all, and all of this is based on the math, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's fascinating. This is another one of those areas where we're, we, we were chasing the math Define the black hole. And we're still chasing the math to understand exactly how it's functioning.
0: Yeah, this is one of the frontiers of science. Yeah. I mean, it's an exciting realm because – it's a place where you've, you've got to have this, uh, this sort of clever cooperation between indirect kinds of observations from the experimentalists and clever innovations by the, the, the theorists, the people coming up with the mathematical framework and the theory. I mean, you can't like sample a black hole and just say, OK, let's see what's going on.
1: Right. So I, I realize a lot of that is, is, is very difficult to relate to the human experience. So I think it's time to move on and talk about black holes and time. Uh, we've talked about like sort of the, the visual experience and the, the spatial experience of approaching and then entering a black hole, crossing its event horizon. Uh, but then there's this whole question about what happens with time because we're talking about space-time. We're talking about an object that warps space-time with its incredible mass
0: yeah now one thing that's absolutely true that we know is that time is relative mm-hmm. so the outside observers version of what happens to you when you enter a black hole might be very different than your subjective experience of what happens to you when you enter a black hole because you're not experiencing time in the same way
1: yeah like one of the the key things that we'll touch on again here is you talk about these scenarios where one person enters the black hole and one person watches from behind mm-hmm. the one in the front looks back at the one in the back but then you cannot have a third observer who can see both inside a black hole and outside of the black hole. Right. Like that, that once you cross the event horizon, that's it.
0: Yeah. OK, well, I think we've got to take a quick break. And then after that, we will come back and explore black holes in time.
2: Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day.
3: Well, we've got something that'll make your shopping experience a whole lot sweeter. Introducing Drop, the app that rewards you with free gift cards just for doing your everyday shopping. Whether it's groceries, toiletries, or your favorite snacks. With Drop, every purchase earns you points towards fantastic rewards. Download the Drop app now. Use code DROP55 when you sign up to get $5 in points.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Visible.
1: Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com.
4: Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: All right, we're back. So key in all of this is a phenomenon called time dilation which we've discussed in the show before. This is the idea that time passes more slowly the closer you approach the speed of light. Uh, which is, of course is an unbreakable cosmic speed limit.
0: Now, one thing we need to say there though is that the – what what that means when you say is, – let's say you get in a spaceship and you approach the speed of light, mm-hmm. is that time passes more slowly relative to other observers yes. for you. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you would feel like you're living in slow motion. In fact, right. what it means is that you are living in normal time But say if you get in a spaceship, travel at the speed of light – or not at the speed of light, close to the speed of light and come back, even though it felt like time was passing normally for you, you might get back to Earth and then realize a lot of time has passed on Earth where it seemed like much less time had passed for you. Right. And this is one of
1: those things you could say is true on Earth as it is in heaven because the uh, the, the hands of a clock in a speeding train are going to move – ever so slightly slower than those in a stationary, on a stationary clock. Uh-huh. Uh, the difference would not be humanly noticeable, but when the train pulled back around to the station, the two clocks would be off by billionths of a second. Um, if such a train could attain 99.999% light speed, only one year would pass on board for every 223 years back at the train station.
0: Even though for the passengers, it would feel like time was moving normally.
1: Right. This would all be a matter of like comparing notes and, uh, and like looking at stopwatches when you return. That yeah. sort of thing. But speed isn't the only factor that affects time. Uh, on a much smaller scale, mass also influences time. So time slows down the closer you are to the center of a massive
0: object. This is something that was explored to great effect in the movie Interstellar, which we mentioned earlier. You get really close to this supermassive black hole and and you're going to have some real problems syncing up with your person way back in the space station.
1: Yeah, indeed. Uh, and, and you know, based on this, we know that there are places in the universe where time speeds up and places where it slows down. Uh, time, uh, as it's uh, often pointed out, runs a little bit faster in space than it does down on Earth. A clock aboard an orbiting satellite experiences time dilation due to both the speed of its orbit and its greater distance from the center of Earth's gravity.
0: And we actually do have to make adjustments for yeah. this. Like for uh, GPS satellites, uh, they need occasional we, – we need to occasionally adjust time Timekeeping between GPS satellites and what's going on on Earth.
1: So, that, so that's the the the, the real world ver- version of this, like the, the accessible uh, version of this that actually impacts life on Earth. But then there's the then then we return to black holes though, because the closer one gets to a black hole, the stronger the gravity would be. Right, and this is going to have a dramatic effect on time, making a, a supermassive black hole, in Hawking's words. Uh, a sort of natural time machine. Mm -hmm. The trick would be to avoid falling in, hitting just the right trajectory in your your spaceship or or even your time ship, I guess it would be at this point, to orbit around the event horizon. High speed would keep you stable, uh, but time would slow down by half. So you could take, say, a five-year journey to travel 10 years uh, into the future. That might not seem like a lot, but it's ultimately the best the universe offers as far as time travel goes. Without getting into the the paradox producing feedback loop destroying aspects of wormholes. Right
0: now, this would only be travel into the future. Correct. I think as we've discussed before, when people ask is time travel possible, the question, se- the answer to the question seems to me, travel into the past, absolutely not. Travel into the future is not only possible; it is known to be real.
1: Yeah. It it gets in this weird scenario where someone could say, "Hey, you wanna you wanna get to let's see, it's 2018 now. You wanna get to the year 2028? Yes. All right. Well, how how many years do you want to take to get there? You mm-hmm. want to take the standard 10, or do you want to take five? Well, if you want it, to, you want to get there in five years. Uh, you know, uh, 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 relativistically, then you're gonna have to jump on this
0: spaceship. And all of our physics tells us this would work.
1: Yes. But that's outside the event horizon. What What's time like uh, within the event horizon?
0: Yeah. Does it even make sense to say, from an outside observer's perspective, that anything happens inside a black hole? Is that even a, a meaningful concept? I mean we we it certainly gets into an
1: area where
0: these are all uh decent questions
1: you know because yeah. you, you sort of you can do this with a the sort of physics breakdown, but then ultimately, yeah, what does it mean to be within the event horizon yeah
0: I, by the way, I meant that not to say that nothing happens it was just i don 't actually know the answer to that question
1: well, I looked into this and i uh, I was reading an article on Ask an Astronomer uh, by Harvard physics uh, graduate uh, student Sarah slater and uh and and she had this Fascinating nugget. She she shared that, quote, everyone inside the event horizon is a psychic. Whoa, explain that. Okay, so she points out that outside of the event horizon, there are two criteria for remembering something. One, it has to have been in the past. Okay. And two, it has to have happened at a distance no more than what light could have traveled since it happened.
0: Okay, so that sort of means like, We can't remember events that took place farther away than the observable universe because it would have taken light longer than the history of the universe to cross that distance to reach us. There's no way we could have that information.
1: Right. I mean this is like – basically I'm going to put that on the shelf and say that's space and time. Yeah. Uh, as it relates to our uh, our ability to remember something, but inside the event horizon, things get flipped around. Space and time, you could say, uh, become switched. Okay. So now these are the two. These are the two criteria within the event horizon for remembering something. One, it has to have happened farther from the center of the black hole uh, than where you are right now. Huh. And number two. If T, as in the letter T, is the time that it would take light to travel to you from the location of the event, then it happened either no more than T hours ago or T hours into the future. Huh? So I'm going to just read this direct quote uh, uh, from her. Quote, if you look away from the center, and I want, again, this goes back to our earlier uh, ideas of crossing the event horizon and looking back or okay. trying to look back. She says, quote, if you look away from the center, though, you can see two images of everything, one from T-hours in the past and one from T-hours in the future. For nearby objects, these two images will look just the same since T will be very small due due to the large speed of light. For faraway objects, though, they could be completely different. So you could see the, the, the past beginning of something and its future end at the same time. Space time is twisted. Wow. And then there's this. If you were to enter a black hole, theoretically speaking, uh, an outside observer might watch you crash and burn on the event horizon destroyed by all that Hawking radiation. All of your information spread out across the face of the the, the dark sphere Uh, uh, because, again, the information can't be lost. But your experience would be one of free fall uh, for the rest of your life. And in short, this is the the firewall paradox. Uh, There's no third witness who can see both within and without the event horizon. Yeah. And to Man, me, that, that's all just mind-blowing to try and and, uh, and and contemplate.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm still trying to understand it. Um, I mean it, it drives home the way that black holes are kind of – they're great because they are a reality that brings to life all of these impossible relativity experiments that people try to use to explain how weird – Space time really is mm-hmm. one of the things we talked about in the last episode. Is you know, if you were to just go based on your intuitions, you'd probably think, well, space and time are are fixed, and the speed of light is, is can be moved all around. But in fact, it's exactly the opposite. Speed of light is fixed. The speed of light in a vacuum is fixed, and space and time can be stretched all around. Yeah, and you you can't really internalize that. But people try to come up with all these impossible scenarios to illustrate the principle. At the black hole, you don't have to come up with scenarios. This just apparently is what black holes do. Now,
1: at this point in the podcast, as we're beginning to wind down here, uh, I thought it might be, be fun to just talk about a couple of uh, of questions that, that frequently come up. Either uh, – some of these we have received as emails from people. And yeah. then others are just sort of general questions that arise from sci-fi treatments of black holes, including uh, Event Horizon. Yeah. OK. So the first one is – if, and I know we've received this from listeners. If I'm pulled into a black hole, will I then – come back out of a white hole. And I think sometimes this is an area where we, we fall into the trap of thinking of black holes more as wormholes. Right, uh, But the white hole concept is, in fact, a byproduct of general relativity. Uh, but it's even more of a mathematical phantom in many respects. Uh, it is the reverse of a black hole. It's not a place where matter is lost, but rather a place where matter is born. I've seen it explained as sort of like the Big Bang singularity, but not but not quite the same. Uh, but it also can't actually
0: exist in our universe. Oh, really? Yeah. So I, I, I hadn't heard this. I'd heard the white holes were still kind of a, a speculative possibility. Well, this is well, my understanding
1: of it. And again, this could be this could be incorrect, and I may have to be corrected on this later. But oh, my I'm understanding, sure I could be wrong too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my understanding of it that it, is that it, it emerges from the math but it's one of these things that emerges from the math that that we're like well that doesn't really square up with what we we actually expect to see in the universe. Okay. Uh astrophysicist uh, Karen Masters once described it this way, quote, "There is only such a thing as a white hole in the theory of black holes and no such thing is possible is possible physically."
0: Well, I'm sure she knows a million times more about this than I do, but I would just point out that that used to be what the astronomers said about black holes. That's true. Yeah. But the, I, I'm not using that to say white holes exist. I mean, I'm sure she's probably drawing on a lot of facts that that I'm not aware of. My, but
1: basically, my my read from this information is that the answer to if if I go into a black hole, I come out a white hole. The answer is is probably no, and probably you're thinking more about a wormhole here. You're not really you're not really picturing what a black hole and indeed a white hole would actually be. Uh huh.
0: Well, I'm more. I'm inclined to take the astrophysicist's word on it. So, so I'll go with that. No, no white holes. Okay. So, uh, another uh, frequently asked question, and this one's a lot more fun.
1: I have to, I have to say, is could we one day harness the power of a black hole? Uh, perhaps <laughs> like what we see in Event Horizon. Yeah, it's yeah. a black hole drive. Tell me, Event Horizon is possible, right? Okay, let's hear it. Okay, So uh, first of all, this is probably a good time to refresh everyone on the Kardashev scale, which we referenced earlier. uh, This is the idea that – this is just like a a very rough way of understanding like what would be the the technological uh, levels of possible um, civilizations in the universe. And it's judged based
0: on how much energy you can take control of.
1: Right. And like truly take control of. So for instance, type 1 civilizations are masters of planetary energy, meaning they can harness the sum energy of an entire world – we're not there yet. No, we would still be a type zero civilization. Yeah. Type two civilizations can summon the power of an entire star system. And those would be – I mean these would be godlike entities if we were to encounter them. If I remember correctly, like the, the, uh, the aliens we encounter in 2001, A Space Odyssey are probably type two.
0: Yeah, so they, you know, you Dyson spheres would be an example. Yeah. Here. So if you you create a structure that can harness and make usable all of the radiation coming off of a star, mm-hmm. and
1: then Type three civilizations command energy on a galactic scale, and that would, we can't even picture that. Yeah, that's godlike to a level that it's. Uh, yeah, I think it's difficult for us to to even summon. Yeah, it's difficult for me to ima- even imagine that as well. It would do because Type two civilizations would appear as gods. Type 3, we, I, I don't know. We, we don't even know they're there. We could, they could be all in the room with us and who are we, to, <laughs> who are we to, to, uh, to, to even notice them? So anyway, harvesting the power of a black hole sounds exactly like the type of thing a type 2 civilization would be into. Um, and in fact, even a type 0 civilization like our own can think of a few ways one might go about it. So remember that Hawking radiation uh, that that we've mentioned already that's emitted by a black hole. Well, why not harvest that?
0: Yeah, just turn it into a nuclear
1: reactor. Well, uh, in 1983, physicist George Unruh and Robert Wald suggested that one could essentially lower a bucket toward the event horizon, collect this radiation, and then draw it back out. <laughs> now, if you let the bucket
0: go through the event horizon, you would not be able to get it back.
1: Right, yeah. There's no – that the light cannot escape and certainly a type 2 – Kardashev bucket would not be able to escape.
0: Right, That would be like uh, the black holes like the neighbor who, you know, your Frisbee goes in their yard. That's my bucket now. (laughs) Now,
1: there's some problems with this, though, because the tension of the rope here is an issue. Adam Brown of the uh, Princeton Center uh, for Theoretical Science uh, countered that the rope descending towards such high gravity would only be able to support its own mass, not the additional mass of this mind-hawking radiation plus as you know it also needs to be able to withstand the crazy ha- heat of hawking radiation as with the bucket now in 1994 uh Albion Lawrence and Emile Martinique of the University of Chicago proposed that we could instead dip strings into the black hole and hawking radiation would climb up uh, out on its own so this would be like I, i've seen it compared to uh like the like an oil wick in a in an oil lantern
0: okay so you're not getting anything back from beyond the event horizon, but you're harvesting the hawking radiation around it.
1: Yeah, kind of almost like uh, luring it out. Uh, so, you know, this is this is interesting to think about. And you would be able to, to to mine just a colossal amount of energy this way. But what about doing more of this event horizon model, uh, event horizon the movie? Uh, what about actually, you say, capturing a small black hole, maybe a primordial black hole, Uh, using that to power
0: your space ship, or making your own singularity. Well, on one hand, that sounds kind of impossible. But on the other hand, we should be clear that a black hole doesn't have to come from a star, in principle at least. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we don't have any technology for like making big old black holes. But in order to create a black hole, all you have to do is get an amount of mass within its Schwarzschild radius, right? And if you can do that, you've made a black hole. It doesn't have to be a collapsed stellar remnant,
1: Right, and then arguably you could make one out of energy instead of just pure mass. Huh. So this is what's known as a Schwarzschild Kugelblitz. Kugelblitz? Kugelblitz,
0: yes. Sounds Which, like a brand of blender or something. Yeah, or a, a delicious breakfast cereal <laughs> or part of your, your
1: complete <laughs> breakfast. Uh huh. So this is the 1955 brainchild of theoretical physicist John Archibald Wheeler. Oh, old yeah. Wheeler. And uh, it's, uh, the Kugelblitz is German for ball lightning. Uh, and the idea is that these are, these would be concentrations of energy so intense that they form their own event horizons and collapse on themselves. And it would need – for this to work, to be for this to be something you could actually um, utilize, it would need to be smaller than a proton. It would be incredibly hot. But if you could contain it, you'd have just immense energy at your disposal. Now, I'm not the biggest Star Trek The Next Generation buff. I, I like watched all these episodes. I think every evening at, at 9 p.m., Back in um, in middle school, I watched them on syndication, but uh-huh. it's been a long time since I've, I've viewed them.
0: You went down to the planets, to the potted plants. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I watched them all back in the day. But there was an episode that I do not directly remember uh, titled Timescape. And it reveals that a Romulan warbird is powered by one of these uh, uh, Schwarzschild Kugelblitz. Mm-hmm. Uh and it in, but it ends up resulting in all these temporal anomalies, uh, and that's you know the plot of the the, the show is like what's happening to time. Oh, it's something the Romulans did. Um, I don't remember it myself, but uh, I've I've seen it cited as a as as an episode that utilizes this concept.
0: Yeah, if Wheeler wants to try it out, I'd say let's go with with Wheeler's ID. Yeah, Idea. But I, I
1: like thinking about this. What if, what if you create this uh, this this artificial black hole or this uh, this this little lightning ball, mm-hmm. and then you drop it on the floor? You know, that's <laughs> got to be the worst. It's, you know, it's bad enough when you say drop a hummingbird feeder uh, onto the kitchen floor and you get sugar water everywhere. What happens when you drop a a black hole? That's hard to clean up. Here is a hint: it's sticky. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that sums up the whole episode right there.
0: Uh, well. You know, I would say that there's all kinds of other black hole stuff we didn't even get to. So maybe we can come back again in the future. I just figured three episodes in a row, that's a lot. We probably shouldn't push it to four this week.
1: I, I think so. We have to move on to other topics and then we can return later. Because as we've already touched on, the the exploration
0: of black holes is ongoing. It is far from a closed book. Yeah, we're learning. We're learning new stuff about black holes this year, especially yeah. with say the research into Sagittarius A star in the middle of our galaxy going on just this year.
1: Yeah. So hey, maybe at the end of uh, 2018, we can come back and we dis- we can discuss uh, what we know now about
0: uh, about singularities that we did not know uh, just a year earlier. One of the most interesting things mentioned in that World Science Festival event uh, that we keep referring to is the idea that observations of black holes that are just now coming online, like what we're finally learning about Sagittarius A star, in fact seems to be uh, though this could this could change, but at least seems in initial observations to be challenging some of the findings of general relativity. Yeah. So what do you what do you do with that? What happens when you do an experiment? You think it's a well designed experiment, but then it disappears. Agrees with Einstein? Well, it's, it's yeah, I mean, as they discussed in that, that talk, it's like you,
1: you first of all, you might question, well, what, what are my results actually saying? But then you may be reaching the point where you're having to move beyond uh, uh, these theories and, yeah. and work with new theories. Uh, so as we learn more about black holes, we're not just learning more about this. Arguably, kind of abstract seeming thing that has no direct influence over our lives here on Earth, mm-hmm. but it change. But they have the ability to change our understanding of the cosmos
0: itself. I mean, wouldn't it be a fascinating thing if we were alive to see a new, better theory of gravity emerge? Yeah, it would. It would. It would. It
1: would change everything. It's like. It's like them. It's. It's kind of like when they made another Blade Runner movie, except, <laughs> except even more ground shaking. You know. Like you grow up thinking you're only going to ever have that one, and then yeah. they go and make another one, and then likewise, you we would be living in a in, in a world in which we had our third gravitational uh, theory. So yeah, know.
0: third major one. Yeah, yeah. that that would be really cool. Yeah. So yeah, astrophysicists, please go out there and break Einstein, uh, kick his butt.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we are going to. Uh, we're going to rocket away from the event horizon now. We are going to close this episode out. As always, we urge you to check out stufftoblowyourmind.com. That's the mothership. That's where you'll find all the podcast episodes. You'll find videos and blog posts there as well. Uh, also links out to our various social media accounts, all at stufftoblowyourmind.com. And if you want to help support the show, uh, go to wherever you obtained the podcast uh, and rate and review us. Leave us a nice review. Give us all the stars you can, and uh, that will help
0: support the show. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producers, Alex Williams and Tari Harrison. If you would like to get in touch with us to let us know feedback on this episode or any other, or to uh, say where you listen to the show from, or to suggest a topic for a future episode, whatever it is, you can get in touch with us directly by email at blowthemind@howstuffworks.com. At
2: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
3: Tired of routine Walgreens trips? Get rewarded for shopping with Drop. With Drop, you can earn free gift cards on groceries, gas, and more. Download Drop now and use code DROP55 to get $5 in points. Join Drop today. NFLShop.com is your one-stop shop for officially licensed NFL gear to rep your favorite team. Check out the latest arrivals of jerseys, t-shirts, and much more. You'll find everything you need for a winning season with the best selection of NFL gear you'll find anywhere. Assemble your fan uniform for cheering on your team everywhere from the stadium to your couch. Shop an unbeatable selection of gear to showcase your team pride and style. To shop now, go to NFLShop.com.